On September 8th, 2022, Queen Elizabeth II passed away after reigning for over 70 years, the longest of any British monarch in history, after which her eldest son Charles ascended the throne and became the first British king since 1952. With Prince William next in line and his son George after him, men around the world have been celebrating this as a win for the patriarchy. Finally, this is a century for the boys. It was suggested that Charles might choose to reign as George VII to avoid association with Charles I, who was beheaded, and Charles II, who was known for being a 17th century man whore. Nonetheless, Charles became Charles III, the man whore who kept his head. With a new generation on the throne, King Charles no doubt sees himself as a more modern ruler, a man of the people, and an environmentalist, from his private jet at least, complete with his personal toilet seat and a loyal servant who squeezes his toothpaste onto his toothbrush for him. That's actually true. In another modernization move, Charles's first decree as head of state was that horses should be allowed indoors again. Now, in the aftermath of the Queen's death, questions have started to swirl around the inheritance of her vast fortune. Kate will reportedly inherit the Queen's $110 million jewelry collection, and Meghan Markle got whatever she was able to stuff up her dress before being escorted off the premises. Despite her ongoing search for privacy, Meghan Markle made a surprise appearance alongside Harry, William, and Kate to speak with mourners outside Windsor Castle. As a sign of respect, Megan live-streamed the whole thing on Instagram with the caption feeling super sad, hashtag living my best life, hashtag YOLO. When asked whether her attendance was yet another publicity stunt, Megan made sure that the light was flattering before immediately starting to cry, saying that Prince William had called her and her children the N-word and that all she wants to do is be left alone. And finally, there's the matter of the Queen's beloved corgis, who themselves inherited half of India. They will be adopted by Prince Andrew, who was delighted to take them in when he found out that not one of them is older than 15. I'm Ian Howarth, and this is Off Limits. Welcome back to episode seven. Now, things are bad right now. Inflation is soaring. You're basically not allowed to drive in California unless you're Gavin Newsom, and prices are swelling up like Joe Biden's diaper. But there's one glowing ray of hope shining through the abomination that was the White House celebration of a collapsing economy, with a boomer singing a song about drug addiction and suicide, and that's the fact that this show is free. So please, subscribe to our YouTube channel for access to all the latest Off Limits videos, hit the notifications bell, and share with your friends. It's basically the last thing left under the Biden administration that costs nothing, but will bring you endless joy. Except for Ron DeSantis flying illegal immigrants to Martha's Vineyard, which is apparently also just like the Holocaust. Last week, celebrities gathered for yet another night of self-congratulatory, out-of-touch cultural masturbation, this time in the form of the 74th Emmy Awards in LA. SNL's Kenan Thompson hosted the event, during which SNL also won the Emmy for Outstanding Variety Sketch Series. Notice that the word comedy is missing from the award, and by variety, they presumably mean a bunch of left-wing hacks lazily reading off cue cards for a few hours, as each skit goes on for about 90 seconds too long. I mean, with this kind of recycled comedy, is it any wonder SNL just keeps on winning? Uh, Zendaya is here from Euphoria. Hello, Zendaya. Zendaya just turned 26 last week. Happy birthday. Happy birthday. Uh, 26 is a weird age in Hollywood. I mean, you're young enough to play a high school student, but you're too old to date Leonardo DiCaprio. (laughs) And the comedy didn't end there. Law & Order stars wrestled one award from a supposed thief who was quickly escorted from the stage. 
but it was then discovered that the would-be Emmy burglar was an illegal immigrant with a criminal record, and so he was immediately released back on the streets and went on to kill a young family in a hidden run. More non-comedy was provided by late-night host and blackface enthusiast Jimmy Kimmel, who was criticized for his white privilege after he, for some reason, laid down on the stage during Quinta Brunson's acceptance speech, with the late-night host turning her moment into, quote, the white man show. To be fair to Jimmy Kimmel, lying motionless and silent on the ground while someone else talks is still the most entertaining thing he's ever done. Maybe Jimmy Kimmel was upset because John Oliver, again, won the Emmy for Outstanding Variety Talk Series. But you know what? I get why he won. If you're going to be lectured by a self-satisfied elitist know-it-all, you might as well choose the guy who does it in a better accent and looks down his nose at you once a week instead of every single night. On a totally unrelated note, you should subscribe to my show, which goes out every Sunday at 9pm Eastern. My accent is better than John Oliver, and I'm slightly less annoying. And last but the opposite of least, Lizzo also won an Emmy for Outstanding Reality or Competition Series, and not for her record-breaking hot dog-eating victory last weekend. With this award, she's halfway to winning an EGOT, an Emmy, Grammy, Oscar, and Tony. But she says she's more focused on other acronyms, specifically EKG, BMI, IBS, and KFC. Turns out she won for her show Lizzo's Watch Out for the Big Girls, in which 13 obese women compete to be Lizzo's backup dancers. The show was sponsored by Tums. After a long, brutal off-season where we had nothing but Joe Biden falling off his bike to keep us entertained, football is finally back. The New York Jets lost their first game, obviously, with head coach Robert Sala promising to take receipts on all the people who continually mock them. Not sure QuickBooks could handle that sort of workload. Tom Brady said that he's feeling more emotions in his 23rd season. By that, he presumably means an emotion. The Browns won their first Week 1 game since 2004. Turns out Baker Mayfield was the Browns' key to success. He just needs to be on the opposing side. The Falcons blew another lead, officially making them the Olivia Wilde of the NFL. Giants head coach Brian Dayball was spotted at Home Depot after the game buying a wheelbarrow for his massive balls. After his embarrassing loss, Aaron Rodgers jumped in his minivan to take the Packers receivers back to daycare. Russell Wilson forgot he's playing for the Broncos now and earned the Seahawks a home win to start the season. And not wanting to let go of summer vacation, the Bears and Niners played their game in a swimming pool. But perhaps the biggest story to come out of week one is that Dak Prescott will be out for six to eight weeks after injuring his hand, meaning that the Cowboys are the first team to be eliminated from the playoffs. Again. People immediately started speculating who would be brought in to replace Prescott, with Stephen Smith suggesting that the Cowboys should sign Colin Kaepernick. However, Kaepernick said that he and his QB rating of 90 could never play for America's team because he hates America and also that the word Cowboys glorifies the nation's history of violence. Dallas did look to change their name, but everything they tried was rejected by the woke crowd. The opposite of Cowboy is Indian, but that's obviously not okay. They thought about animals, but all the good ones are taken, like the lions, bulls, and the sharks. What's left? The Dallas Pussycats is transphobic, and the Dallas Whales will be shut down by a joint class action lawsuit by Stacey Abrams and Shamu. In the end, Kaepernick gave up, going back to counting his money and forcing Vietnamese children to make his Nike sneakers for 20 cents a day. But perhaps it's for the best. After all, the last time a Dallas Cowboy beat anyone was when Des Bryant beat the shit out of his mum. And in case you missed it, I was on Gutfeld this week. Let's take a look. Happy Wednesday, everybody! Oh, so, I-C-Y-M-I. <laughs> That's short for in case you missed it. Does that help? A 27-year-old woman, aren't they all? <laughs> from San Diego has started handing out physical copies of her dating resume to dudes that she sees in public. She lists her hobbies, including eating, 
and making bagels. Who knew eating was a hobby? Generally, I do it to stay alive. But her simple pleasures include bagels with cream cheese. She also says she's looking for a man who shares her love for St. Patrick's Day. I mean, she's obviously looking for an Irish Jew. So yes. like, that's, it's, quite, it's going to be uh, hard to find, but maybe out there. A story in five words. Strippers sent to rest home. Isn't it time to have more strippers in rest homes? <laughs> Joe Biden will get into a rest home pretty quick if they do. My favorite part about this story, she's wearing a mask. When someone's rubbing their crotch in my face, I like them to think about COVID. Yes, exactly. <laughs> Let's keep the shameless self-promotion going. Help support the show by checking out the official Off Limits store. Head over to watchofflimits.com shop and buy something from the I Survive Fauci line, including hoodies, bags and t-shirts, or even some Off Limits merch. The mug might come in handy to catch the floods of tears in the next segment, because Taylor Lorenz is the worst. Taylor Lorenz is basically America's toxic girlfriend. She wants all your attention, but also wants to be left alone. You might say she's the Meghan Markle of journalism. She also lies. A lot. And when she gets caught lying, she cries and calls you a bully. All while being creative when it comes to her age. <laughs> no, really, no one really knows how old she is. According to the internet, she's somewhere between 37 and 45, despite dressing and acting like an emotionally damaged teenager. But anyway, the main reason Taylor Lorenz is the worst is because she's perhaps the biggest hypocrite in the mainstream media. Why? Well, this is all to do with the subject of doxing, revealing private information about people or groups on the internet, usually with malicious or threatening intent. And Taylor Lorenz claims to be vehemently against doxing, despite spending a lot of her time doxing people and then crying about it. Again, America's toxic girlfriend. There's one saga which tells you everything you need to know about Taylor Lorenz, and that's her somewhat bizarre battle with a Twitter account called Libs of TikTok. Now, Libs of TikTok is an account which does one thing repost videos of radical left-wingers doing and saying ridiculous things with some commentary added at times. So Libs of TikTok is essentially a mirror that's held up to the left. Hi, my name's Az and I'm a preschool teacher. Recently we started wearing pronoun pins and the kids get to pick a new pronoun pin every We have some that pick like she, her every single day and we have some that change it up. So I'm a non-binary preschool teacher and my kids know I'm non-binary. Um, they know I'm not a girl or a boy. I use they, them pronouns in the classroom. We work on it. Not all the kids get it. That's okay. And I go by Mix Gray in the classroom, not Miss or Mr. Man, y'all thought me uh, teaching the children about me being Polly was crazy. But not only that, but they also know that I'm gender fluid. I'm going to give you my explanation about what it means to be transgender as well. So when babies are born, the doctor looks at them and they make a guess about whether the baby is a boy or a girl. Kids as young as three and four are actually aware of their gender identity, even if they don't have the language for it. To say that pre-K through third grade are not ready for such topics is actually internalized homophobia and transphobia. In the last few years, the account has grown a large following online especially after covering more disturbing examples of things like sexual indoctrination, particularly in public schools. Enter our favorite keyboard warrior, Taylor Lorenz. Back in April, she published a supposed expose in the Washington Post titled Meet the Woman Behind Libs of TikTok, Secretly Fueling the Rights Outrage Machine. Because don't forget, the story is never the story, it's the conservative reaction to the story. Taylor Lorenz explained that, quote, a popular Twitter account has morphed into a social media phenomenon, spreading anti-LGBTQ plus sentiment and shaping public discourse. The first example Taylor Lorenz discussed was this video. 
that's how we should, you know, like get down with yourself, explore your own body. Masturbation is really healthy and I recommend it to people of all ages, all ages. As soon as my nephews could talk, they were doing that. That's what they were doing. Kids touch themselves. Kids start to ask questions and we teach them the language for their bodies, right? That's your nose, touch your nose, show Aunt T, you can touch your nose. But my sister's not saying that when they're tugging at their penis, right? But it feels good, right? We have to learn ways to talk to young people about this so that they know how to explore their body consensually so that it's not in public, right? And here's what Taylor Lorenz wrote. On March 8th, a Twitter account called Libs of TikTok posted a video of a woman teaching sex education to children in Kentucky, calling the woman in the video a predator. After discussing the success of the Libs of TikTok account, again, an account that just reposts videos with mild commentary, Taylor Lorenz then revealed the identity of the person behind the account that she said attacks the LGBTQ community, Haya Rachik, an Orthodox Jew from Brooklyn. She revealed her identity even though Haya wanted to remain anonymous and even linked to a page that revealed Haya's home address. The link was later removed and never acknowledged. Taylor Lorenz even allegedly showed up at the home of one of Haya's relatives digging for information, which could be seen as harassment. So to pause for a second, there are two points here. First, the Libs of TikTok account, regardless of whether you agree with the commentary or not, isn't doing anything wrong. It's just reposting already public videos without any editing alongside an opinion. That's well within the normal realms of editorial journalism. And second, and here's the really important part, Taylor Lorenz's decision to uncover the identity of the person behind the account would be fine, if we're being really honest, if she hadn't cried on camera less than one month beforehand about being doxxed herself. They'll, they'll threaten children. They'll threaten my parents. I've had to remove every single social tie. I had severe PTSD from this. I, I contemplated suicide. It got really bad. You feel like any little piece of information that gets out on you will be used by the worst people on the internet to destroy your life. And it's so isolating. And terrifying. It's horrifying. I'm so sorry. (laughs) It's overwhelming. It's really hard. She also said that harassment is a tool to silence people, complaining that someone had supposedly harassed her family members. And online online harassment is such a is such a it's such a misnomer. Um, I think it's a huge problem because um, you know harassment is is a is is a, it's a tool to silence people, especially women and people of color, or people mm-hmm. from marginalized um, identities, for speaking out. And it, there's a very intentional like goal behind it. It's it's obviously it's death threats and all of that and rape threats on the daily. And it's not just Twitter. It's like every single surface, right? Like you know my cell phone number getting out there, people calling, people harassing my family members, stalking me, like all of that is incredibly terrifying and invasive. Um, And it's bled out into the physical world too, which is even more terrifying, right? But uh, to me, I think what what especially the media needs to understand about this in terms of protecting their own reporters is this is just a tool, like harassment is a tool to kind of discredit and silence journalists. And the right-wing media plays along with it, right? You mentioned Tucker Carlson. So why did Taylor Lorenz, less than one month after she cried on TV after Tucker Carlson, a man, criticized her on his show, dox an Orthodox Jew who lives in America's hotbed of violent left-wing anti-Semitism? Haya is a woman and a vulnerable woman at that. Doesn't Taylor Lorenz care about women? Well, apparently not, because she just won't move on from libs of TikTok, pushing to demonetize the account and even claiming that it's responsible for instigating attacks on children's hospitals. 
all while crying about having her own privacy breached. Because this is who Taylor Lorenz is. A massive hypocrite who has basically no self-awareness. I mean, just watch this video she put out on TikTok recently. Okay, I don't know if media TikTok exists yet, but I have something to say. So I'm a tech reporter at the Washington Post. I cover online content creators, influencers, internet stuff and all that. And I just have this beef lately with media reporters. This is no hate to all the really great media reporters out there at the New York Times, Washington Post, elsewhere. Tons of people do great media reporting. That's not who I'm talking about. There's a certain class of media reporters that literally just sits on Twitter all day long and like looks for spicy tweets from media people and writes about it. And then they make these manufactured controversies for basically for right-wing lunatics and other media people who are the only people that read this kind of garbage. And it's just so lazy and it's just so disappointing as well. As somebody that covers the new media, AKA content creators, which have 10 times more influence than a lot of legacy media brands. I just feel like if you call yourself a media reporter, you should be reporting on that stuff. Like, let's talk about how the media actually works. Instead, these people just write about the most niche media Twitter bullshit, and it drives me crazy. Can you imagine just sitting on Twitter all day long looking for spicy tweets and writing about them? The reality is that Taylor Lorenz is not an isolated problem. She's just the loudest and most annoying symptom of the rot deep inside the mainstream media. Taylor Lorenz and the mainstream media she remains a part of is just the Democratic Party's ministry of bullshit, doing whatever is needed to protect the narrative. If that means putting a private individual in harm's way because they run libs of TikTok, a Twitter account which yet again does nothing but repost videos, so be it. If that means running defense when the Biden administration tried to place this woman as the head of their ministry of truth, so be it. Information laundering is really quite ferocious It's when a huckster takes some lies and makes them sound precocious By saying them in Congress or a mainstream outlet So disinformation's origins are slightly less atrocious It's how you hide a little idle lie It's how you hide a little idle lie It's how you hide a little idle lie. lie When Rudy Giuliani shared bad intel from Ukraine Or when TikTok influencers say COVID can cause pain They're laundering disinfo and we really should take note And not support their lies with And if that means trawling the internet for spicy tweets and writing about them, like when she thrust Kellyanne Conway's 15-year-old daughter into the national spotlight by aggregating and sharing her anti-Trump posts, so be it. Let alone the fact that Taylor Lorenz is just a bad journalist. You could even call her a liar. She reportedly falsely claimed that she reached out to YouTubers in a story about the Johnny Depp Amber Heard trial, and this claim was stealth-edited out without any editor's note and it was only added later when media outlets caught wind of it. When she was at the New York Times in 2021, she walked back a claim that someone used the R word, and another time she walked back an accusation that she was relentlessly harassed by an editor at the Judge Report after it turned out that her alleged harasser had no connection to the outlet at all. What makes Taylor Lorenz even more of a joke in the clown show that is our modern media is that after she embarrassed herself on MSNBC crying about being doxxed while also doxing people herself, she tore into MSNBC, MSNBC, the most far-left outlet on TV, for mishandling her description of online harassment. She said, Never did I think a fellow woman journalist would throw a colleague under the bus, especially one that purports to advocate for marginalized communities. It's a reminder that cable news will always, above all else, exploit people for cheap views. They fundamentally do not care. Cheap clicks, of course, are different. She did have one good piece of advice, though, telling people do not trust anyone in the media to tell your story or report on harassment accurately. They do not care about you or getting it right. Truer words have never been spoken. Here's the takeaway here. Taylor Lorenz isn't a journalist. Instead, she's an activist. 
What she does is find something or someone she doesn't like, whether it be YouTube channels or outlets that dare to criticize her or Twitter accounts showing how insane some radical leftists truly are, and then does whatever she can to try and take them down. No examples of why they need to be taken down, of course. The fact that she doesn't like them is all the proof she needs. Just opinion, all under the fake umbrella of reporting. Oh, and all while going after independent media, which should be replaced by, guess who? People like the Washington Post, her employer. Of course, the targets she chooses aren't the nefarious or dangerous sources of evil she claims, so all she does is add a pinch of creativity here and there, sometimes even a scoop, to help frame the story in the way she wants. And when she gets caught, which she does a lot, she cries victim. Taylor Lorenz is America's toxic girlfriend, and it's about time we just block her number and move on. Thanks for joining me. Please don't forget to hit that like button, the notifications bell, subscribe to the channel for other videos, follow me on all social media. I'll see you next time on Off Limits with me, Ian Howarth. Off Limits with Ian Howarth was created by Ian Howarth, produced by Austin Stevens, executive producer Ian Howarth, written by Ian Howarth, Austin Stevens, and Nick Sheehan, director of online harassment, Nick Sheehan. Off Limits with Ian Howarth is a Half Crown Productions show. Copyright Half Crown Productions 2022.